But I want to, again, thank you for joining us. Um, this message series is so important. I'm so excited because, like I mentioned before, it, it couldn't come at a better time. I mean, the, the material came out over a year ago. Dr. Busick produced it and all these things with uh, the Foundry Publishing. And, um, but the one thing as I discovered it and as we were discussing in Sunday school one day, um, that we have a need for understanding discipleship and doing discipleship and figuring out um, how to be successful at discipleship because Jesus tells us, make disciples. It is, it is not a request. It is a mandate, okay? We are to do it. But then there also comes the not understanding of uh, the Nazarene church or uh, some of the core tenets, uh, grace specifically, and, uh, and so I feel like Way Truth Life by Dr. David Busick does a really great job of both of those things, explaining how grace, uh, how we experience grace throughout our, our journey in life and how discipleship takes place along that journey. Uh, it's an exciting thing. I, and, and I usually say things like this when we start off a series. I usually say that the sermon, we're on a journey today. Well, again, it's overly intentional, literally. We're on this journey of grace. Um, we're discovering how discipleship isn't a math problem, that you can just solve it and it's consistently there, but rather it's a trail to be experienced. So we're gonna be looking at five different ways that God's grace shows up, uh, shows itself to people. Uh, and take note, just because they're presented in a particular order week to week, it doesn't mean that that is always the way that they're presented. Last week, we looked at the compelling story, the story or the life example that influenced us to begin this road with Jesus. Think about that person. Maybe you've been thinking about them who meant something to you that drew you in. You can reflect backwards and go, oh yeah, that person really... Uh, Set me, help set me on the right path towards uh, giving my life to Christ. Well, today we'll talk about how Jesus was there on that road even before we put on our walking shoes. Today we'll dive into this topic of prevenient grace. I want to start off with a little illustration, if I may. Uh, it's very little. It's not a stick person, so don't make fun of me, children. Okay? But it is a stick. It is this. It's a very... Bland visual aid, but it is an arrow, long arrow with a line pointing all the way to the right side of my dry erase board. Uh, this right here, we're just going to put brackets here first, right? This is how we experience life, right? We're alive, and uh, and then stuff happens, and we'll, we'll we're not getting into that. We're just gonna, we're all alive right here on this on this thing. Uh, but so this represents a person's life. And at, at the point they're born, the arrow is pointing off to the right side, but to the left, even before they're born, guess what is there? God's grace. God's grace. This is the grace that goes before. And guess what? It, I didn't even mean to write that, but it, it makes sense. It goes along with us. I'm going to leave this up here. Maybe it'll help you. I know it helped me. So along the way, as it's going here, there's something else that might happen in our life. We call conversion. Probably going to spell it wrong. That's all right. 
conversion. And that's when we choose, we, we, we dedicate our hearts and our lives to Jesus right there, somewhere at that point in our life, make that conversion decision. Right here, I want to read a scripture that, that seemed to ring true for me as I was getting ready for this message. It is from Psalm 139, 15 through 16. It says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So we recognize that God is the God who goes before. He prepares for us. Uh, and, and the lines start to get blurry here, though, when we talk about, the great, about graciously providing resources for us. Like we think about that. God took care of my needs, this, that, or the other thing. And in fact, in the book, Way Truth Life, Dr. Busick talks about the difference between providence and provenience. Uh, I honestly, up until like a few years ago, I've always been spelling prevenient wrong. So I didn't even know that there was a difference between these two words. Um, Providence deals with when and where you were born. Uh, Large things, complex and mysterious things that who knows why that is the way it is. Uh, Busick said providence is where God places us. Prevenience describes the multifaceted ways that God meets us. So God places us someplace, that's providence. The way he meets us and we experience him along life's journey, that's provenience. And provenient is that grace that goes before our response, that enables us to respond at all. So let's look at parts of Acts 10. Again, if you've not joined us for Sunday School, I highly recommend it. It gives us an opportunity to discuss the themes a bit more in detail. So next week, 945, please do come to Sunday School. Well, let's look at the first three verses of Acts 10 once more. It says, meanwhile, that's the wrong chapter. Always good to start off on the right verse and chapter. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Okay, pause right there. Have you, do you, can you relate to him for a moment here? Have you ever had a vision of an angel? It's not a common occurrence. I think we hear more in the tabloids and the newspapers and the, and the internets uh, of, of toast looking like the very uh, Mary Virgin, uh, Virgin Mary. Uh, we, we don't really have too many visions of angels. And, and I don't mean me, so don't be silly people here. I'm talking about heavenly messengers. Or maybe, maybe it's a little bit more subtle and nuanced than that. Maybe it's about a clear word personally delivered to you. You know this was the word from the Lord. It just kind of came out of the blue. Perhaps you were in the middle of prayer. Perhaps you were just driving in your vehicle along the road. And somehow, bam, God spoke to you and said something very, very important. And you could point back to it and say that. 
Well, Cornelius, of all people, gets this extra special blessing that we can hardly relate to, right? But hey, he wasn't the top religious leader in town. Uh, He isn't even the top 20. Why did this come to Cornelius? Well, it comes to Caesarea. It comes to Caesarea being a type of spiritual crossroads. Uh, His hometown was a hotbed of Judaism and Roman governance. And where they overlap, that is where tension takes place. Uh, Think of this. You probably picture this before once in a while. Four Wisconsinites, am I saying that right? Wisconsinites, all coming to a four-way stop at the same time. Time, identical time. No one knows whose turn it is to turn or to go straight. So they try to be polite and wave each other on and they just kind of go in a circle doing this. Tension at the crossroads. I gotta go. And then you start going and somebody else is going and that's a whole other thing. There's always tension at the crossroads. Well, this is a unique place in life for Cornelius. But perhaps... It was set up that way for grace to have its way with him. Uh, Back on verse 2, I just want to point this out. It says, He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And I reflect on that one verse and I start to go, "That's, that's amazing. It seems amazing to me that a person born in a militant Gentile background, with a militant Gentile background would be generous, be devout to God. I mean, I don't know if you remember from the previous chapter in Way Truth Life, but when uh, Dr. Well, actually, it was our devotional uh, Sunday school material, the guy who wrote that, uh, when he was talking about the person he talked, the lady he talked to at the coffee shop and how they were atheists, but he had such nice things to say about them. I, I, there's, there's cognitive dissonance going on there in my brain. And I have that issue with the background that Cornelius must have. Um, Perhaps it's a problem with my viewpoint of people. I wouldn't expect a hardcore military man like Cornelius, especially one associated with the Roman Empire of this time, to be bowing before his... uh, I would expect him to be bowing before his household gods and partying up with whomever he wanted to. I don't expect him to be a family man who does his job, prays regularly, and cares for the needy. It just doesn't click with me. Again, it might just be my negative viewpoint. To recap from our Sunday school lesson this morning, Caesarea was where Cornelius was from, and that area had that blending of Roman authority and Jewish religion. Crossroads, where this deep faith and tradition meet the secular and the governmental. Tension takes place in the crossroads. And that's where something must change. It was right there and then where something, someone, drew Cornelius. Drew him closer and closer, invading his dreams, which in turn influenced his actions. He searched for a man he'd never heard because of a message from an angel of God. Well, that's the crossroads, but it leads us to curiosity. So somebody who's at a crossroads in life where they know they need to make a choice and a change, they start asking questions. I don't know if you've ever changed up your diet or you need to um, 
get a new vehicle or you wanted to invest in some land, you start asking questions because you're curious. When you're spiritually curious, you start asking questions along those lines. Uh, kids are probably some of the best question askers. Um, when they're just starting out, of course, their main question is what? Why? Why? It's maybe their only word they know at that point in life. They just keep asking why, why, why? And you're like, why can you talk now? Why? Why do I have to, uh, have to wear that? Why do we have to go there? Why is that? What's for dinner? But it can change into deeper topics like this. Why did Jesus have to die? Why do we go to church? Why don't I feel anything when I pray? It can also shift into matters of how. How can I know God's talking to me? How can God be good and let bad stuff happen all over the world? And some of the most intriguing questions are like, what ifs? What if Adam and Eve had never sinned? And then to go off of that one, would we still have Jesus? Could we be real close to wild animals and not get hurt? Would we wear clothes? (laughs) All those questions and more. Curiosity shows a person of any age is desiring to grow. It matters spirit, in matters spiritual, they are reflecting and hopefully allowing what they discover to take root and shape the course of their lives. When these moments of curiosity show up, it's because the person feels safe to ask. This is so important. Those questions only show up when it's safe to ask them. In regards to my kids, it's usually right before bed. I'm sure it has nothing to do with delaying going to sleep. It's safety. It's comfort. The ability to quiet oneself and reflect. That's the scenario where folks open up. Well, Cornelius couldn't do this all on his own. God knew it. And so he brought somebody into Cornelius' life through this vision. He drew him towards companionship. I think we can all agree that life is better when we do it together. Or else we wouldn't be here every Sunday. I mean, maybe you come just to worship God and you don't care about anybody else in this room. I don't get that vibe from anyone here. But when we gather on a regular basis, when we pray for one another, when we're not around each other, when we call each other because we know that person's been sick or whatever, when we write them a letter or a card, we send them a card on their birthday, all these things show not only that we care about another person, but that we value companionship and interaction with them Um, or just the concept of companionship in general. I mean, we have the social shift change during COVID that would help us realize the fact how much we actually need and desire personal interaction with other people. People are wanting and desiring it so very much because they were withheld it. Cornelius, of course, he's just bebopping around, honoring God, praying and being charitable. And God has him go out and find a a companion a friend, someone to advise him in the faith. And that new friend is Peter. 
Now, question for you. You can fill in the blank in your bulletin if you'd like. But if you're a believer, who was it for you? Who advised you and as you began to seek God? Can you picture that person? Do you know their name? Do you want to write it down in the bulletin in that blank? You can do that now. It's important to identify who was that that God put in my path and on my journey that helped guide me along the way. Might be multiple people, as I've shared before of my own story. But it comes to a point where something called conviction comes on the scene. Now, not the kind that lands you in prison, of course. Conviction sounds like a scary thing, but is usually a freeing thing. Conviction is the grace that begins to align our lives to the kingdom of God before we've made that kingdom our home. Let me say that again. Conviction is the grace that begins to align our lives to the kingdom of God before we've made that kingdom our home. Um, I shared that story about Pastor Sam last week, and uh, in it, he talked about how he was convicted after he had actually given his life to Christ. I think those things that he wanted to change, getting rid of uh, drinking or chewing, uh, the Holy Spirit spoke that word to him and started to align uh, his, his membership in that kingdom to God's kingdom through those, act, those outward activities. But before that, he was drawn into this spiritual and mental, like, what's going on? I'm turning these thoughts over and over in my head. I don't know. The Holy Spirit is beginning to align our lives to the kingdom of God. Every time we've moved as a family, there's been some folks who've went out of their way to make us feel welcomed, we, uh, to make us feel more like a permanent resident rather than temporary guests. That's the difference we're talking about here. Uh, Somebody just pops in uh, any old place, whether it's a restaurant or a church or uh, your home. uh, There's a difference between um, a a welcomed guest uh, and one that's just temporary. And uh, and we were Wisconsinites before we ever had our first cheese curd. Thanks to your generosity and your kindness and your um, compassion. This conviction here, spiritually, the Holy Spirit utilizes our conscience and, dri- and drives our decision-making, our hearts to choose the right and to walk away from the wrong, to dive into the holy and to disregard the selfish and the evil. So God uses our conscience, gives us choices and options and guides us in the right path to walk away from sin. If that isn't a pattern of a disciple and the progress along the way, I don't know what is, making us more and more like Jesus the Christ. So as a a Christian who is on this journey, we're not just called to just sit there. We're not on the the passenger seat. It's not like we're on a a big old uh, over-the-road bus or a train ticket that we've got. We're on this journey, but we have a responsibility too. Um, The author calls it a mandate, a thing that we are supposed to do because of all that we've just heard. Because as we heard in the story, 
Peter did come and did meet with Cornelius, and they had this interaction, and God put Peter in his life to see, wow, what is God doing with the Gentile who hasn't had any interaction with Christians? He's got a hold of him. Well, as Christians, as it, was our, it is our calling, much like Peter, is to serve as guides, as shepherds for others along their journey. But doesn't that mean that it's all on me? If I'm a guide, I'm a shepherd, I'm a person that guides people along on their journey, it's all on me, it's all on my shoulders. What if I screw up and say something wrong or, or I, I'm mistakenly unbiblical, I, you know, I don't know enough. Or maybe I come off too harsh or too pushy or maybe too needy, whatever. Fill in your excuse in the line below here in the bulletin as well. What's your excuse? But here's the thing, and this is the thing that really gets me about prevenient grace and it makes me excited. If God is going before, who are you to feel guilty? If God's prevenient grace is already at work before you even got on the scene in somebody else's life, who do you think you are to feel guilty for what you perceive as a failure to disciple another person? One of the first persons that I ever walked through the sinner's prayer, a young lady in my church uh, that I was just a teen college age, I can't even remember when it was, but I pointed back to that moment for the longest time in my district license, or my, yeah, my district licensing uh, as, my, as a salvation that I w- was able to work through. And, and it broke my heart to find out years later that she walked away or her faith wasn't strong. And I, I, I took that guilt upon myself. I look at this and I say, who am I? I'm not the savior of the world. I don't even have provenient grace to give someone else. Might be an agent of it, okay? God is the one that moves ahead of each and every one of us on our journey and as we serve as guides, as shepherds and other people's. If we're following the Holy Spirit, if we're listening and obeying Jesus, remaining open to being used as God desires, then we're doing all that we can. The Holy Spirit is the one working before us, drawing a person to himself. We're servants, we're guides, we're shepherds. That being said, we ought to not heap that guilt upon ourselves for things that are out of our control. We've talked about it a lot before. Sometimes kids, as they grow up, they've been raised in the church. They've been prayed over by their parents. They've been shown godly examples throughout their lives. And sometimes they do not cling to the faith. Sometimes they reject it. That is not a problem for God. So it shouldn't be one for us. God's not at all bothered by that. In fact, it actually reflects another thing that we believe in, which is free will. And as much as it's the drawback of free will, by the way, it's also a reassurance. God's not bothered by that in a way that oh, we should freak out because we believe in that free will. It is part of the grace that goes before that prevenient grace. It enables a person to respond to grace with acceptance or rejection. Do you think about that? 
we can't even get to this moment without this moment. God enables us to even have the opportunity to then give our life back to him. Back to salvation and discipleship. As the Holy Spirit is wooing a person, it's our shepherding job to point out where we see the Holy Spirit at work in these not yet believers, those fingerprints we talked about during Sunday school. Again, we are an assistant, a supporting role. We don't hit a spiritual home run. I know maybe people talk about that a lot. Like, oh, you know, I I have used the football analogy, though I've probably watched maybe like 15 minutes of football my entire life of like moving them down the, down the yard or see, I don't even know the analogy, but getting them over the goalposts. See, I don't know sports. Don't try, Matt. It's okay. Our compelling life, as we talked about last week, our ability to identify God at work in someone else's life, those are our two basic tasks as shepherds and guides. We don't need to beat ourselves up However, we need to be faithful to follow the opportunities that God gives us. His grace works in us and through us. So we need to celebrate. We need to celebrate when we see those good times, when we hear and see God at work in somebody's life. We need to celebrate it in our prayers. We can verbalize it. Hey, do you know what I think you're telling me about this wonderful thing? Would you mind if I share? Because I think God is doing something there. Would you care if I shared something about that? And you've asked for permission. You respect that person. And if they're not going to listen to you and your uh, spiritual reflection, you're wasting your breath anyway. You can still give God praise in your own heart or you can do it in front of them as they permit. Um, So I want to recommend that we start celebrating those things when we see them out loud or in our hearts. But I want to point one last thing out to us. It's no um, secret that there is a modern-day Caesarea. I feel like our area, and you may disagree with this, and that's perfectly fine, but it's my opinion that Vernon County is very much a modern-day Caesarea. Why do I say that? Well, from what I've been able to research and understand, it's got its religious roots. It focuses on fam- it had focuses on family and agriculture, things that drew the family together, then thereby drawing the family towards God. Older churches and organizations are sprinkled throughout the community, and they held much sway in the business and culture during their most influential years. However, in the last several decades, maybe even further, the influence of faith has been overtaken by the influence of nature and humanism. A Gentile revolution, if you will. But what humanism and nature worship doesn't know is that God is not scared by it. He's not intimidated in the least. God has already gone before and continues to reach folks despite Christianity not holding the sway that it once did. Where today we may feel sort of persecuted and mistreated, God doesn't bat an eyelash at that. His work shows up ever more clearly against a dark backdrop. And who's 
grace went before the humanists to awaken them to their abilities to achieve. Yes, I researched a little bit about humanism to achieve, to learn and to prosper. God did. It was God's grace that gave them the ability to even understand those principles. Whose grace went before those whose religion is nature. And allow me to clarify what you think about, talk about most is likely what you worship. Take that for what you will. So for those, of, those whose, whose grace gave people the capacity to care so deeply about their environment, the grace to identify how to steward resources rather than just burning through them, whose grace enabled that enlightenment to even take place, God's grace. God was at work before they were ever thinking about these things. Don't get me wrong. Those two things are not Christianity. There are elements in there that we would, it would be good for us to identify stewardship of, of uh, the earth and the ability to do, to do things as humans. But they all point back to things that are not God. We point to the one true God. So I needed to clarify there, by the way. These attributes are but a shadow of the call God has out on each and every one of us. The grace that enables our response. We looked at it last week. Come and see. Follow me. The flip side is that Jesus was once talking about his sacrificial death. You might know this story. He was once talking about his sacrificial death and using the analogy of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Oh, it's scary. It's October. He explains it a bit further. And John records Jesus saying this in in John chapter uh, 6, verse 65. Says, he went on to say, this is why I told you no one can come to me unless the Father has what? Has enabled them. No one can come to me to me, unless the Father has enabled them. We all receive the same providential, uh, prevenient grace that enables us to accept the free gift of salvation. How did the people respond to this final piece of news? Jesus giving them all of this and, and says this very kind of weird thing. How did they respond? Not well. Verse 66 From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. We, my friends, are at a crossroads. There is a spiritual tension in our communities. Ignoring that tension doesn't do us any good. What does help us is to recognize that it is at the crossroads where many folks decide to use the grace God has given them and say yes or no to the offer to follow Jesus. And you and I, what's our role in all of this? We're guides, we're shepherds, spiritual parents, if you will. <laughs> when we see someone curious, we make ourselves available. We open ourselves up to be fully used by the Holy Spirit to guide someone on their journey of grace.
All of it was made possible because of God's prevenient grace, that sneaky grace. (laughs) You didn't see it coming. You don't notice it until later, reflecting back on it. Oh yeah, that was God working in my life. His prevenient, sneaky grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this day. At one point in our life, we've given our life to you. We, we made a commitment. We verbally said it. We said it in our heart. We knelt down at an altar. But our story did not just start there. It didn't even start at our birth. But before time, your grace existed. And you have been drawing man to you. And it is not just us who attend church or other churchgoers in our community that you were drawing to yourself. You are doing this to and for every single person. And so we need to be alert with open ears and open eyes, spiritually speaking, so that we may be able to point out the fingerprints of God in their life. We pray that you give us the opportunity, the spiritual awareness to be shepherds and guides of those who are also, unbeknownst to them, on a journey of grace. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.